In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today's gospel text is an important piece of the gospel story. The text takes place immediately before the transfiguration. There's a thousand things that we can say about the transfiguration, but whatever else the transfiguration is, it is, the most, it is most assuredly a defining pivot point in the ministry of Jesus, an event that's so pivotal you can actually see the moment that it happens on a map. You see, for years, Jesus led his disciples all around Israel, from the northern reaches of Galilee to the southern edges of Judea and everywhere in between. And if you take a map and you trace that journey, you find three years of unpredictable and seemingly random travels. And look, I get it. I know Jesus knew what he was doing. I'm not saying Jesus didn't have a plan. That's not, not my point. What I'm saying is that to an outside observer, it's hard to make out what the pattern is. I've traced the travels on a map. And you know what it reminded me of? I didn't plan for you to be here this morning. So... <laughs> Do you remember the Family Circus comic strip? Remember little Billy whenever he would go home? You remember how he would go home? He'd climb trees and under cars and stuff, and he'd just take the most roundabout way home as he could. So far as I can tell, Billy never walked a straight line in his entire life. And so far as I can tell, for almost three solid years, Jesus and his disciples didn't either. For the first eight chapters of Mark, Jesus and the disciples were walking all around Israel like Billy. But then in Mark chapter 9, after the transfiguration, the wandering travels of Jesus and his disciples stop. The very first straight line in the ministry of Jesus, the very first straight line the disciples ever walked with him, was a straight shot towards Jerusalem, a straight shot towards his crucifixion. And our gospel text is actually the precise moment that straight line begins. It's also the precise moment that the disciples have their very first existential crisis. You see, today's text is the very first time that the disciples hear Jesus teach something that does not make sense to the ears of men. That the Son of Man must suffer many things. That He will be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. That the Son of Man would be killed and on the third day rise again. This is the very first time that the disciples hear these words. The very first time that they're forced to wrestle with two opposing truths. You see, they believed that Jesus really was God's Messiah on earth. And yet Jesus told them plainly, in the coming days, Jesus, God's Messiah on earth, would die at the hands of evil men. And that did just not make sense to them. Peter had just confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. The disciples truly and earnestly believed that Jesus was anointed and sent from the Father, that He carried the power and authority of God Himself. They believed every teaching He ever taught, every word He ever spoke. And then Jesus taught, and then Jesus spoke, that the Son of Man will be killed. There's another wrinkle in this story. In the long, long history of Israel, it had seen countless holy men rise to prominence and confront evil. For hundreds and hundreds of years, these brave men sent from God confronted evil kings and rulers. And their reward for doing so, their reward for speaking the truth, was almost always execution. 
Practically everyone sent by the Lord to speak the truth in Israel suffered that fate. By the time of our gospel text, it seems that not much has changed. John the Baptist, a prophet anointed and sent by God, had dared to speak the truth to yet another king. And for doing so, John suffered the same fate as many prophets before him. Not even the first cousin of the Messiah himself would be spared death for speaking God's truth. So look, the disciples understood that there was a very real danger in following someone like Jesus. They knew that. They understood they were in danger every time he opposed the power of Rome or the Sanhedrin. But you see, the disciples believed deep in their bones that Jesus wasn't just another prophet. Just before our gospel text, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? How did the the disciples respond to that? They told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. And so Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. The disciples had seen Jesus do things no one had ever done. They had heard him teach with a power and clarity that none before him had possessed. They were positive that Jesus was something altogether different. So sure, powerful kings and corrupt rulers, they might be able to kill a regular prophet. But every prophet that came before Jesus, they were just regular prophets. And the disciples knew that whatever else Jesus was, he wasn't just a regular prophet. They believed with all of their heart that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so you can see why for the disciples that meant that Jesus wouldn't be stopped like all the prophets before, right? To the thinking of these men, Jesus couldn't be stopped from accomplishing his mission. Israel's Messiah was finally there, and he would finally offer the salvation for which they had waited for so long. Jesus the Christ would finally offer the whole world a brand new start. And for the disciples, to the thinking of these men, none of that would be possible if Jesus were dead. The wisdom of man tells us you don't win a war by dying. You win it by killing the enemy. You don't win a football game by letting the opposing team score a million points. You win it by stopping them, right? Things like this are just obvious. That's just good, solid human wisdom. But I think it's precisely that way of thinking that earns Peter his rebuke. But turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your, thing, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was viewing the Messiah. He was viewing salvation itself, the things of God, purely through the lens of human wisdom. And if you look at things like that, human wisdom will have it exactly backwards. Human wisdom said that victory for the Messiah would mean slaying his enemies. But the wisdom of God rebukes Peter and says, no, victory for the Messiah would come by allowing his enemies to slay him. The wisdom of man says the surest way to stop someone, the surest way to prevent someone from winning is by killing them. But the wisdom of God shows us that the death of Jesus did not signal his defeat. On the contrary, his death and resurrection were the means by which his victory was ensured. The problem 
that Peter and the disciples had was that the human way of thinking about victory and defeat did not fit with the plan of Jesus. It did not fit with the plan of God. And that problem, that problem of seeing this world from our point of view and not from God's, the problem of trying to fix this world with human wisdom while failing to employ divine solutions is a struggle encountered by believers in every single generation. Have you ever gone to the Lord with a problem? Have you ever explained to God a hurtful situation from your point of view? Have you ever justified to God the actions you wish to take? Have you ever done that? Only to have the Lord take you aside and rebuke you? To gently take you to the side and show you the same situation from His perspective? Many years ago, in Mississippi, my wife Eva was part of a ministry called Light in the Darkness. And this ministry had one focus. It would go into the worst parts of Jackson, Mississippi and befriend strippers and prostitutes to show them the love of Jesus and to offer them a way out of the hell they called everyday life. As you can imagine, for those that served in this ministry, spiritual warfare was often and it was intense. And so they were always on the lookout. But one evening, the spiritual attack came from a direction that she never expected. Right before Eva went to serve in this beautiful ministry, a gentleman in our parish, a brother in Christ, was very hurtful to my wife. He, he should have known better. He should have acted more decently. He should have prayed for my wife's protection instead of attacking her over some theological difference they had. And instead of my wife walking into the darkness of Jackson, encouraged by a brother in Christ, she entered instead discouraged, confused. I didn't find out about it until several hours later when my wife walked through our front door crying. I knew where she was going was very dangerous, and seeing her as upset as she was, I feared the worst. But when she explained to me what happened, I went from concern for my wife to absolutely enraged. I picked up my cell phone and I walked outside. And my plan was simple. I would call this man and I would give him one chance to beg for mercy. <laughs> and if I wasn't convinced or if he failed to seek the mercy I would offer, then I would oblige him with a visit and a severe response. Guys, I had my shoes on. I was fully prepared to put this man in the hospital that night. I remember looking down at my cell phone. I remember scrolling through and finding his name in my contact list. And just before I hit call, I audibly heard the Lord speak to me. He said, Bubba, to whom does she belong? So I put my phone down. <laughs> I went inside. I took my shoes off. And what we did next makes absolutely no sense from a human point of view. Me and my wife together prayed for this man. We prayed that the Lord would convict him of his wrongdoing and that by his own volition would seek our forgiveness. And you know what? The very next day, that's exactly what happened. This man called my wife and confessed that what he had done 
was to be complicit in a spiritual attack upon her. He, being convicted by the Lord, had found his actions unacceptable, and so he asked for her forgiveness. Guys, from my point of view, I had every reason and right as a husband to drive to that man's house and beat his eyes shut. But that wasn't God's perspective at all. You see, God asked me, to whom did Eva belong, to remind me that Eva belongs to him. And since Eva belongs to him, he would defend her. And you know what else? That man, for as wrong as he was, wasn't mine to treat however I wanted. He was in the wrong and he did hurt my wife, but he was still my brother in Christ. He was still the possession of the Lord Jesus. And so God's perspective was that Jesus would be the one who sorted the whole thing out. I told you that story because there's so many times in my past where the implementation of human wisdom and the forsaking of a divine one was just a given. It's just what I did. Put your shoes on and drive to the house, buddy. But guys, there is a divine perspective that if understood may instruct you to do something very different. It may instruct you to do something like intercede for the one who has harmed you. Pray that your relationship is restored. I think that's the inescapable conclusion of today's gospel. When it came to the Messiah and why it should be impossible for him to die, the disciples seemed to have ironclad reasoning. There wasn't a flaw in it except for one. They failed to take into account. They failed to consult a wisdom much higher than their own. And look, I'm not telling you that every plan you have or decision you've made is doomed if you use human reason. And I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that God has a perspective on your life and you need to hear it. God has a perspective on this world and he wants to show it to you. Because like his disciples, no matter how well you've thought through something, like myself, no matter how justified you feel in carrying it out, God may have a perspective on that situation you haven't considered. So wouldn't it be wise? Wouldn't it be prudent? Wouldn't it be indicative of a disciple of the Lord Jesus to take those things to him and say, I've had a look. Here's what I'm thinking, Lord. Now, Jesus, you tell me what you see. <laughs>